0: and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, your co-host and moderator for this episode. Just kidding. That is a mysterious, not Scott, Scott voice, I guess. He won't be joining us this week. It is the first podcast where there is no Scott.
1: He's on the walkabout this weekend. (laughs) <laughs> to lands unknown. It's an annual thing. Uh, he better be finding me some good comic books tomorrow. That would be wonderful. In the great northeast, we shall see what happens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Scott is pretty much the lifeblood of this podcast. So we'll we'll see how uh, how this goes without him. He is, does amazing things with this podcast. So.
1: So, if you're a big Scott fan, this, you know, (laughs) Turn off, I guess. I don't know. Tune in next week. But what are we going to be featuring tonight? So,
0: tonight, we have in store for you an episode, the first one, in fact, of the ever-popular Sherlock, uh, called A Study in Pink, starring uh, Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch, written by Mark I have no idea how to say his last name, uh, so I'm just going to try. G- yep. Gaddis, mm-hmm. Gattis? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Moffat? And uh, Stephen Thompson?
1: Yeah, That's, that works for me. So,
0: before we get into this episode, Sean, do you have yeah. any like previous experience seeing any other adaptations of Sherlock um, on TV or in movies or anything?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, when I was a kid... I really enjoyed the Sherlock Holmes mysteries. I've read a number of them in my youth. Really enjoyed them. As in other adaptations of the genre, I guess you can say, or the or the character, I, of course, saw, I think, the first movie that came out a few years back with, uh, uh what's his name, Iron Man, um, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. Yes. I don't know if I saw the second one. I don't recall. The first one was pretty good. My other experience with Sherlock Holmes, and I don't think you remember this, but there was a cartoon in, I would say, the early 90s. And I I will try to look it up. I meant to do this before. But it was a Sherlock Holmes cartoon that was based like in the year 2100 or something like that. And it was the kind of thing where the 19th century Victorian uh, Sherlock Holmes was cryogenically frozen or cloned or, or something because morality his arch nemesis came to the future somehow <laughs> so it's kind of like an Austin Powers sort of thing Yeah, where he froze himself or came was reanimated to fight crime in the future or fight him in the future mm-hmm. and what I remember about that one is that John Watson was there but he was like an android or some kind of robot either it was like part human part robot it was very bizarre I don't know how long it ran Again, I'll try to hook up while we're talking, but uh, there was, yeah, very interesting character. I'll tell you, my wife absolutely loves, and I do too, this uh, Sherlock series made by, I think, BBC, right? Yeah. British Broadcasting? BBC. Big fan of Bendit Cumberbatch. And it's amazing how accurate they do get with these episodes and the actual stories.
0: See, now, I'm not familiar with the original Sherlock Holmes saga or series, it's never really been my jam, this kind of thing. Like, I'm not a big mystery fan or detective type genre. But I do actually really enjoy this Sherlock series. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised when I first watched it. Because immediately when I hear, like, another Sherlock adaptation, I'm turned off. I, it's immediately, I'm like, ugh, oh, I'm not going to enjoy this. But the way that they depict sherlock specifically in this series as more of a sociopath than just this like genius that intrigues me so that's what draws me to the series in particular
1: yeah well i think you know if you read the actual sir arthur conan doyle's original novels sherlock holmes novels sherlock holmes was very much like that in the novels too he's very eccentric definitely you know in our day today he might be considered autistic in some some way his genius So the character, again, just reading the the original stories, is very similar. And as we go through, we'll talk about some of the similarities. I love the fact that they they took this without any weird, like the whole cartoon thing. Let's make John Watson an android. They just took the story (laughs) that was a 19th century Victorian story, set in that world, horse and carriage, no modern technology, of course, to what was around in the 19th century – and just took all the characters, same name, same everything, and just changed the time.
0: Yeah, even the, um, main nemesis and street address are the same as the original. Exactly
1: series. the same. The, yeah, the, everything is exactly the same. It's, it's, just set in, you know, 2012 or whatever the year is instead of 1880s. So just to give a little background about, um, where this story came from and just to show how similar, similar it is to, the original um Sherlock Holmes mystery A Study in Pink is actually based on another Sherlock Holmes story that was called A Study in Scarlet.
0: Ah. Oh.
1: So this is this is not just made up by the writers of Sherlock and A Study in Scarlet just like A Study in Pink was the first introduction of the characters of Sherlock Holmes and John Watson. So it was the first Sherlock Holmes novel. It was written in 1886 and published in 1887, and interestingly, it didn't really take off. It was basically in a magazine called Beaton's Christmas Annual, and it says only 11 complete copies of the magazine are now known to exist and have considerable value, so it's it's not very well known, and of course it was reprinted numerous times with other Sherlock Holmes mysteries, but many of the plot features that we'll, and I'll mention them as we go through, the story does run differently a little bit as we get into the, the later part of it. But some of the the things I mentioned in the episode are exactly the same or, you know, updated from the 19th century version, such as the meeting of Sherlock Holmes and John Watson. It's it's pretty accurate and just updated for modern times.
0: It's, it's interesting how they managed to do that. I have some notes here on the pilot episode in general and bbc's approach to it so this is a little tidbit about the writers stephen Moffat had previously adapted uh the strange case of dr jekyll and mr hyde for the 2007 series jekyll so he had already had experience adapting these older popular novels to modern day television shows And Gatisse, Gaddis, however you want to say it, previously wrote an episode of Doctor Who. And this pilot episode, A Study in Pink, is actually the second shooting of the pilot episode. The first episode that they shot was only 60 minutes long and was essentially 800,000 pounds to shoot. So... This was prophesized to be a a huge potential danger or um terrible thing if it didn't go the way that they wanted it to. So they wanted to reshoot the series and have 390 minute episodes per individual series and thus we have a study in pink as the pilot. Hmm,
1: very nice. Yeah. I guess that's my my one dislike about Sherlock and it's not even a dislike about the series itself is that you know the episodes are almost like full-length movies let's be honest
0: yeah this is the the closest thing we've done to a movie I'd say on hitting play (laughs) yeah
1: it's pretty close and you know the one thing that I, I don't like about that is that there's only like basically three episodes per series so basically and they release them pretty close to each other when they come out on PBS or whatever you see them and it takes so long to film the new season or series that you're without Sherlock for a good year or so. It's been, I think, <laughs> three series so far, and you just kind of rip through them after they come out, and then you're done. You know, it's, that's that's disappointing. I, I wish that they could, and it's, it's time and money, and it's a whole bunch of factors, I'm sure, but I, I wish that they could have a full season of these, you know, hour and a half shows instead of just three, but... Bandic Tumberbatch has been busy lately with his career, so.
0: Yeah, he he is really a genius for this particular series, but we'll get into that later. So, after all of that, let's actually get into the contents of the episode. So, we start this episode with a violent war scene, which seems to be a night terror or dream that mr john watson is having in his bed and as the camera pans over his face all i could think of oh my god it's like a sweaty hobbit in the bed because the recent lord of the rings movies that came out yes later we find out that he's haunted or by these images of being in a war he was in the um war with afghanistan we see him going to a therapist.
1: The only thing I have to mention about this was that you could see that John Watson is obviously not happy where he is. He's walking with a crutch. You can deduce that he's been wounded. The interesting part is in A Study in Scarlet, the original story, he also had the same background. He was uh, a physician that had just returned from Afghanistan to London. He was also of the, in the, the British Medical Army. Our Army Medical Department. Mm-hmm. So very similar backgrounds. They don't really talk about how, in the, the book, of course, how he has any PTSD, because, of course, that really didn't exist as it does now. I guess you can say that it wasn't as well known. I'm sure it existed, but they didn't uh, categorize it as that. So that part of the story isn't there that we see with the character of John Watson in the 21st century.
0: Very good point, Sean. So next we jump ahead to a man walking through the airport on a cell phone and um, he inevitably meets his untimely death through some sort of pill we're not really told as to what kind of pill it is
1: actually it's three scenes if i remember correctly
0: there's three pill related deaths they're apparently all suicides. However, all these three people have the same thing in common. They're in need of transportation, and they die by taking this pill.
1: So it seems to be suicide as what we're led to believe. Um, and it's very odd that three people, of course, would commit suicide the same exact way.
0: Right. Right. Very odd. So then there is a press conference held with the local police, in which the police are trying to address the deaths, obviously. And there are these creepy group texts being sent to everyone listening in on the press report uh, in the room and to the police staff themselves.
1: Very funny scene.
0: Hilarious. I love the cinematography here and how they introduce the text messages, like with the text on the screen. Yes. Very interesting.
1: You see a lot of that in Sherlock, uh, especially when Sherlock is uh, deducing his deducing screens, I guess you could say, where you could see uh, word bubbles or pictures or his thought process on the scene, on the screen that you're watching. So I think even at some points has measurements and things like that. He's deducing. So you could see his his thought process throughout the entire um, scene. But this is also a nice scene because it really shows how Sherlock, the 19th century Sherlock Holmes, would use modern technology, just like he did in the... 19th century using modern 19th century technology he's also using this and is able to send out you know this group text either by hacking or some other means to gather all these people's cell phone numbers to send it out once while he's watching this press conference going on so he can comment on it to all the reporters
0: exactly so then after this scene There is a lonely Watson walking through what seems to be an open park, and he bumps into his old friend from the service, Stumford, who is wearing the dumbest tie I have ever seen on any living person. Yes. (laughs) We learn that Watson was shot in the war, and apparently he was trying to find somewhere affordable to live on a military pension. Which his old friend says, oh, I just was talking to someone who's looking for a place, too, who said, just like Watson did, that nobody would want them as a roommate. So then we are introduced to Sherlock. Is it the corpse whipping scene? that's next Yes, word. yeah, yeah
1: that's <laughs> where he's just basically going to town whipping a corpse. Um, I believe it's just like a bull whip, right? If I remember correctly, or some kind of
0: yeah, it's a riding crop.
1: Riding crop, that's it. Yeah, riding crop. And he's also has this confrontation or this this scene with the I forget her name. I'm looking it up right now. That young lady who is very enamored with with Sherlock.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Obviously has a crush. Where you'd think because he's such a genius that he would understand what's going on, you know. Hey, you weren't wearing lipstick before. Why are you wearing lipstick? That's odd. Yeah. And then, and then she takes it off and he goes, Oh, where'd the lipstick go? You know, it suited you. Like, completely, completely oblivious.
1: I'm sure there's tons of message boards out there that if you type in, does Sherlock Holmes from Sherlock have Asperger's or autism? These are some classic signs of that. Having no social, you know, social graces, I guess you could say. Not, not understanding social cues that she's trying to put out there, or, you know, misunderstanding them, I guess you can say. So we have this meeting of John Watson and Sherlock Holmes, where within a matter of seconds, and really, they just, they explain it later on, Sherlock Holmes is able to deduce by looking at, just looking at Watson, basically, that he is a returning medical soldier from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has to use his cell phone also.
0: Yes, which... Just from looking at the exterior of his phone can tell the relationship between Watson and his sibling. Because this is really the first scene that we get of Sherlock just using what he calls the science of deduction, to analyze someone, have you ever, after watching this, doesn't it make you just want to, like, walk down the street and see what you can find out about other people?
1: Oh, I try to do things all the time, and I usually fail horribly. <laughs>
0: yeah. After I watch these, I'm so inspired. I just want to, like, go to my local grocery store and look around and solve crime.
1: <laughs> see see if you can discover things. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's Molly before, I just looked up her name, is the uh, lab assistant, I guess you can say, or that's uh, assists Sherlock in finding corpses.
0: And beating them, apparently.
1: Yes, Molly. And she appears quite often. Sherlock uses her sometimes also in some later episodes, if I remember correctly, to fulfill his own means.
0: Mm. So, by the end of the scene, Sherlock... Kind of rushedly forces his flatmateship ship uh, down Watson's throat, and's like, "Meet me at this address," and as he leaves the room, you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, basically, John says, "You know, we don't know each other. I mean, this is our first time meeting. How could you even propose that we share a flat together?" Sherlock briefly explains, you know, like you mentioned before, that he's he's know that he's an army, army doctor, is invalided from um, Afghanistan. And he says he has a brother who's worried about him, and he might be an alcoholic, the brother, and walked out on his wife. Really, John is just dumbfounded by the fact that he knows all these things about him. So really, uh, a good first introduction of of Sherlock's deduction abilities. Yes,
0: and you know what? Right after this encounter, he does what any normal person would do. Watson goes home and Googles Sherlock Holmes.
1: (laughs) Yes, in the 21st <laughs> yeah. century, at least, yes.
0: Yeah. When you want to know anything about anything, Google is always the answer. And then the next day, he decides that, yes, I'm going to go to 221 Baker Street.
1: And it, it, just a correction, it's 221B Baker Street. Oh, yeah, okay. It's a famous address, yep.
0: 221B Baker Street, yes. Same as um in the original series, I believe.
1: Uh, Yes, exactly. That's very much an homage, and not even an homage, just a direct copy from the original Sherlock Holmes novels. Their shared flat was at 221B Baker Street, and the new character we meet is uh, Mrs. Hudson, who's also in the books, in the novels. A very funny uh, line there, I don't know if you caught it, where, where Sherlock basically sends talks about Mrs. Hudson, that she's the landlady, and she's getting a special deal because he helped her out her husband got himself a death sentence in uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. And and, she, and John basically says, oh, you helped stop the death sentence. And Sherlock said, no, I insured it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Which leaves Watson dumbfounded as yes. they ascend the staircase into this insanely cluttered flat with a skull on the mantle, which I noticed was in contrast to how neat and tidy the original place that Watson was staying was mm-hmm. so to him for him to walk into this flat and see everything everywhere. And then here Sherlock said, yeah, I quite liked it as well. You know, I already moved in and Watson had thought, Oh, you know, no one's been here yet. We'll clean all this up, but absolutely yeah. not. <laughs>
1: that was just Sherlock's, uh, yeah, his organizational skills there.
0: <laughs> yeah. It takes a stack of papers, sticks a knife through them on the mantel. So then Watson confronts Mr. Holmes about his website based on the science of deduction. And in the middle of that, they're interrupted with the police lights. And immediately Sherlock knows, oh, there's been a fourth death.
1: Yeah, Sherlock had this idea that something was different. And then Lestrade, the uh, detective, comes in and talks to him. And basically that, that was the difference that with the previous suicides, there were no notes. With this one, there was a note. Or there was something written down. That was the difference between the previous three suicides and and this one.
0: And immediately Sherlock screams, Ah, it's Christmas! As he's rushing around completely excited and shoots down the staircase. Watson has an exchange with Mrs. Hudson. And then only for Sherlock to come back and ask, Yeah, you were were a military doctor, right? Were you good? And asks him if he would love to tag along. And Watson says, Of course.
1: Yeah so this is the beginning and basically because there's a previous line where Sherlock's asking who is doing the forensics, who would be the medical examiner, and Anderson, who we see later on in the episode, does not any love lost between Anderson and Sherlock, and basically that's what prompts Sherlock to ask John to accompany him um, because he was a medical doctor and could kind of take that place where he knows he won't get much cooperation from Anderson, the forensic tech. Very funny scene here also, um, Kind of a, a playoff of the original books that Sherlock is telling uh, Miss Wa- uh, Miss Hudson, excuse me, that you know I'm going to be late. If it, you have some biscuits and tea, and they're talking about you know getting drinks and, and biscuits at this point. John also, and Miss Watson says uh, Miss, I say Miss Watson. Miss Hudson <laughs> says a number of times that she's not the, she's just a housekeeper. She's she's not the housekeeper. She's just the landlady. That's her whole line. Where I think in the original novels, she was more of a, a housekeeper type of role she played, where she did do these things for them, where she got them food and drink and that sort of thing. So she mentioned that a couple times. Again, a more 2000s, 21st century type of attitude, where she's just the landlady. She has no other roles mm-hmm. that would have been common in Victorian London.
0: Yeah, that no one has, at least no, no one that I know really has a housekeeper anymore.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. It's, you know... Not, not so much. Not somebody who would also be your landlady and, and, and renting a room or rooms is more like a full service type of deal where now it's obviously not, so. Mm. And we, we skip now to this, the scene of Sherlock and John that are going to they get in a taxi cab and they're on their way to the crime scene. And they have this, uh, this chat about what John, what Sherlock's role is and what he does.
0: Mm hmm. I believe he defines himself as a uh, consultant or detective consultant or something along those lines.
1: Sherlock then jumps into his detailed description of how he deduced about John the day before. And just to skip through it real quick here, you know, he basically said, because John asked him, how do you know? Because he asked him if he was from Afghanistan or Iraq. Is that where he, that's where he served.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And Sherlock basically says by his haircut, you could tell he's military and all his deductions come out. Basically, he knew he, he could see that he was tanned, but he wasn't tanned. There's was no tan above his wrist that showed he was in uniform and not, you know, sunbathing, basically. Yeah. Talking about his, his injury or his psychosomatic wound. Yep. Talking more about that. And, and then it talks about his, uh, his brother, so called, his sibling. And by just looking at his phone, he was able to deduce that, you know, it's an expensive phone. It's a, it's a pretty, modern phone but it's also kind of beat up Mm -hmm. so it was obviously a gift or a hand-me-down from a sibling and not his own because of his circumstances of his his lack of uh, income
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and and, and it basically goes on to see that you know he knew that it was a brother because it was engraved the phone had an engraving on it that said you know harry watson from clara yeah so he deduced that he had a brother because the last name was the same and that's how he got the phone so basically, you know, things that anyone could really deduce over time, Sherlock is just able to do in a matter of
0: seconds. See, I, I wouldn't be able to make those assumptions as much as I'd like to say. Oh yeah, you know, I could just tell anything about you from the pair of shoes you wear. Like, I have, I have absolutely no ability.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, to make those detailed assumptions or deductions with, you know, so a normal person again to probably do that in a number a matter of maybe. Hours or or maybe even minutes. But Sherlock's is able to look at something once. I mean, he had John's phone for less than, you know, a minute. Not that long. And he didn't take a long time to examine it thoroughly. He just used it. Sent a text. But he's able to determine all these things just by having that in his possession for a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. Which is his gift. Yep. There's one thing he got wrong, though.
0: Yes. Watson does not have a brother that was his sister. Harriet.
1: Harriet, yep. So that was his one his one off. And they really again again shows the modern viewpoint of this of Sherlock, in my opinion. What they're trying to go for was this is the twenty first century, it's not the nineteenth century Victorian again, so there's are these relationships that exist.
0: Right, exactly. It's very um very modern this T V show. Definitely is appreciated by the community.
1: And I thought the one that was very funny is, uh, you know, John says, how do you possibly know about the drinking problem? I mean, how there's no way you could know about that, mm-hmm. that. Harry has this issue. And basically the whole idea was that the power connection on the phone, there were scuff marks that someone trying to plug it in would have shaking hands. Yep. And he says, you never see those marks on a sober man's phone. So basically, you know, that's, that's like you said, Who would come up with that typically or or be able to maybe come up with it but not have the guts to make that assumption without hard evidence?
0: Yeah. Yeah, like he just said it like it was nothing when it would be a sensitive issue to someone, you know?
1: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So the next scene Watson and Sherlock arrive on the crime scene and it is immediately apparent that nobody likes Sherlock everyone yeah. everyone is not thrilled to see him besides the lead police officer who knows he's the only one who can get anything done.
1: We have Inspector Donovan who did not does not like him.
0: Not at all.
1: <laughs> and he as he's walking towards the crime scene, he's able to deduce that Donovan and, uh, who else? What was the other guy's name? Is it Anderson? I'm
0: pretty sure it was Anderson.
1: We're up to, up to, uh, shenanigans, I guess you can say. Just by basically, um, the, the clone she was wearing, or the, um, uh, whatchamacallit, deodorant. the de- deodorant she was wearing was the same as him. And, you know, they're dumbfounded too as he walks by and makes that statement. Basically, as he's getting back to them mm-hmm. for what they're saying about him calling him a freak, that sort of thing.
0: So as they go into the actual building where the crime was taking place, Sherlock opts not to put on the contamination suit, that big blue getup. And they go up to the room in which the murder was, where there's a corpse lying on the floor with R-A-C-H-E clawed into the floorboards with this nicely dressed woman. And so Sherlock sits there thinking about the message and what i thought was one of the funniest parts of this entire episode he says he screams shut up you are thinking it's annoying
1: <laughs> yeah yeah very very funny yeah it's Just going back to a study in scarlet again this is uh another one of those things that is a carryover from that novel to this episode
0: mm-hmm.
1: this r-a-c-h is also it's, it's a male corpse it's not a female corpse in this thing but it's also written in blood not scratched up, but written in blood on the wall. Mm-hmm. And the another, same exact line is that Lestrade remarks that, or has a theory that it's a uh, German for revenge, that word, mm-hmm. which uh, Holmes in both instances basically said is, is wrong. And that's not what it refers to.
0: Absolutely not. So he, we go through this scene where he's analyzing the corpse and these text bubbles pop up with exactly what he's thinking and he deduces from her wedding ring that she was a frequent adulterer and the key evidence key piece of evidence she had a briefcase because of the dirt splashes on one leg but not the other but the briefcase was missing must be with the perp
1: yeah i love i love like you thought bubbles how it goes back from wet dry wet dry just being able to tell just by looking at how the condition of her um her clothing and her he's able to make these deductions again. It's really amazing. And I love the way they, again, they, they show this. They could have just basically said, this is what he deduced and not had put these in. But this really gives the audience a chance to come to these conclusions with him.
0: Right, because it may not be obvious to everyone watching or most people watching his train of thought. So it's nice for uh, Sherlock to walk through all of these conclusions that he's drawing.
1: So, Sherlock, at this point, again, is sure that there is a suitcase or briefcase that's missing, and Sherlock runs out yelling, Pink. Ah, uh, yes. And, you know, basically, he's gone as John comes down the stairs, because John can't keep up with him with his current limp, and Donovan basically tells him he's on his way, he's gone, and uh, John's on his own to try to get home at this point.
0: yeah. And she warns him, saying that psychopaths get bored. You know, one of these mm. he gets off on these murders. And her theory is one of the one of these days when they get a call and somebody is dead, it's gonna be Holmes standing over the body. Mm-hmm. Which um, I really like that aspect of this rendition of Holmes. I don't know if it's common in other adaptations but the fact that yeah he is definitely not normal and he does have the potential to be evil as just as he has the potential to be good so that is interesting to me
1: and i I think in the going back to the victorian homes also in the 19th century he was more respected in those stories than he is you know by the police officials maybe there were some moments of discontent between the two but he didn't have this this Hostile relationship that he has with the police here. Um, and this is more of like a 21st century thing. People are less trustworthy and less, what's the word I'm thinking about? Less civilized than they were in the 19th century, where everything was manners and politeness and suits and ties and <laughs> gen- gentlemen and ladies. This is a different London. This is a 21st century London. So he's looked at as a freak, as a, a psychopath compared to. How his 19th century counterpart was, maybe people had those thoughts internally, but they didn't go and express them. John's on his way out looking for a taxi, and all of a sudden he notices that a phone box is ringing.
0: Oh yeah, several, the sequence of telephone calls until he finally stops at a telephone booth and answers the phone, and it's a voice telling him, you know, there's a security camera here, there's a security camera here, get into this vehicle. Which he just gets into this strange black vehicle and sets off to this odd warehouse where this man is waiting for him. The whole time there's a woman, like, texting on her phone. Yeah. Which I thought was bizarre.
1: Yeah, and she's just ignoring him, basically, just sitting there doing her thing. Throughout all her scenes in this, she's just doing that. And this is a time where if you're a... You're not sure who this character is at this point. You know, we don't find out until the end of the episode who he is. But some people may have thought that this was Mor- Moriarty at this point.
0: Oh yeah, I was like, who is this guy and how does he have this much power to just tap into security cameras like that?
1: Yeah, so watching this the first time, knowing the, the history of Sherlock Holmes and his enemy, the man that could almost best him, I guess you can say, I thought that maybe that they were. This, this is who this was at first, was Moriarty. Basically, they have this discussion about Sherlock and also about John. Basically, this this individual knows quite a bit about John, and that he is in therapy, and that his injury is psychosomatic.
0: Right, tells him get rid of your therapist because you know your hand isn't shaking, even though you. She said you had a hand tremor. In a stressful situation, you know?
1: He comes to this really very on, very right on conclusion he comes to. He's not haunted by the war. He misses the war. Um, And that's why he has this psychosomatic thing going on. Really showing that John Watson is a very deep character. He's not a perfect individual and he has these, these demons that he has to fight and has these issues that he has to fight against. We also see that this mysterious character wants to offer the pay John because he knows all about his rooming arrangements with Sherlock, pay him to keep his eye on Sherlock.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: John says he's he's not going to do that.
0: Yeah, that, not, not at all. So, which I forgot to point out earlier, I would just also like to point out, this is our second episode of Hitting Play where we've uh, done a show that Martin Freeman stars in. I believe The Office UK, Martin Freeman, also had a role. Yes, who was he in that? He was, um... He was the gym parallel. So, (laughs) check out our other episode of Hitting Play if you like The Office.
1: Yes, from a few months ago, yes. yes. (laughs) Yeah,
0: from forever ago.
1: During this whole interaction between this mysterious figure and John, uh, Sherlock is texting John, Come at once, back to Baker Street, come home. Um, as soon as possible. And that the last message was that it could be dangerous.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. John gets back into the vehicle to go home, but before he gets out of the car, there's a scene where he grabs a handgun off of a table. See, for this scene, did he go back to his original apartment to grab a gun?
1: Yeah, well, bas- basically, he asked he got a ride home from what's her name, Blackberry Girl. <laughs> and he said they had to make a stop first, where he kept this this pistol, obviously stored away. And then he went to back to Sherlock,
0: trying his chances with the girl, the Miss Blackberry girl, before he uh, he gets out of the car, to no avail.
1: Yeah, she just tells him, "I love that line." She goes, "Bye, it's just like get out of here, you know." And <laughs> yeah.
0: She's an annoyance. <laughs> So Watson walks up to the flat to discover Sherlock with three nicotine patches on his arm, who just texted him for his cell phone.
1: Yeah, that's the only thing he wanted. He wanted to send a text from his cell phone because Sherlock said his number was too well known, and he basically didn't want to go downstairs and use um, Miss Hudson's phone. That's the only reason he was having this... This uh, time where he was sitting and thinking with his nicotine patches and didn't want to be disturbed. So this is a little annoying to John. Yeah. That he would just pull him away like it's a major emergency and just to get his uh, cell phone number.
0: That's absolutely hilarious. And it's at this point in time where Watson confronts Sherlock about this mysterious man who summoned him with the offer for money to spy on him, and Sherlock said, why didn't you accept? We could have split the money. <laughs> yeah.
1: John says that it's he met a friend, he tells me he met a friend, like you said, and he also calls him his arch-enemy. That's how the mysterious figure referred to himself. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how you also kind of get the idea of this must be Mori- Moriarty, and they've had dealings in the past.
0: So then we learn that Sherlock found the briefcase that belonged to this woman who um unfortunately committed suicide with this pill, supposedly. And there's one thing missing from the suitcase, which is her cell phone. And Sherlock says she would ha- know where her cell phone is because she was an adulterer and she was clever. She would have, you know, had her cell phone to hide from her loved one. And sends a text with Watson's phone to the murderer... Or, well, to the victim's cell phone, having the murderer called back, now in a state of panic. So, I believe now Watson and Sherlock come to the conclusion that um, they're going to go out and pursue this phone call, knowing that, yep. you know, the murderer is now going to be on edge.
1: Uh, yeah, I believe so. That they're going to stake it out now at this yeah. point. So- a little restaurant outside to see who if... He said it's a long shot, but the killer might show up. And basically, it's amazing because Sherlock goes into more detail of how he found this suitcase, and just by again deduction, you know, he knew where she was most likely killed, or you know, where she was discovered, and how long it would have taken him statistically to find the suitcase after he had disposed of, or you know, after she had been she had died. From that point on just kinda of went back and, and found the suitcase within a number of minutes really. Not not too long of a time period, because he just had that details and didn't have to look every single dumpster in the world. He focused in on logically what would be the area this person would be able to dump it.
0: Yeah, that was incredible. And he's like, Yeah, yep. it didn't take me a little bit more than an hour.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sherlock is basically saying that the murderer either has the cell phone Or she lost it, or, you know, she might have done something else with it for some other reason.
0: Like we were saying, Sherlock and Watson are in this restaurant, peeping at the address across the street, um, where they have this funny altercation where Watson is trying to figure out Sherlock's personal life, where Sherlock thinks that Watson is hitting on him. Yeah, (laughs) But as in the middle of this banter, a taxi pulls up to the address that they had texted, and Sherlock and Watson immediately go to trail this taxi. And what I realized was, as they are pursuing this taxi, Watson leaves his cane in the restaurant.
1: Yeah, they focus do a hard focus on that. As soon as they, they leave, that the cane well, is still there, and Watson is having no issue, no difficulties getting around. He's totally forgot about his psychosomatic limp
0: yes exactly the show does a great job of capturing sherlock's thought process as he's trying to figure out the best possible route to catch up to the taxi and as he's running after this taxi during the whole chase scene he gets nailed twice by cars two times yes you know the first time was understandable but again you know, why, <laughs> why poor Sherlock? His knees must really hurt.
1: He just is so focused on, on solving this issue, or this riddle, he's gonna t- go to no ends, even if it means being hit by cars.
0: Two times. T-
1: <laughs> two times to get there, yeah. <laughs> uh. He knows the city well, as we can see. He's able to navigate like an internal GPS to get through and get in front of the taxi.
0: So then, when they finally stop the taxi and catch up, oh, it's not, The right person. It was just someone from America, from California, I believe it was Los Angeles, who's arriving in London. Which I thought that this dude's American accent was pretty bad.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, that's the funny, I was going to mention that too. When I I like watching these British shows, mystery shows, um, there's there's a ton of them that they come out with, BBC and related British networks. Uh, especially on Netflix. Oh, yeah. This one called Midsummer Murders, which is really good. It's been around forever, but they always have a hard time doing American accents. And they always sound... It must be like a what a British person, when they hear a British accent on American TV, must feel like. Yeah. That's off. And it's, it's obviously this guy has an American accent, but this seems off to us. Yeah, it's... At least to me. It's like, this is not... It's someone trying to have an American accent.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Not so much somebody with an American accent. I guess he's supposed to have a Californian accent. Yeah, I was which, supposed to know.
0: be like surfer dude accent. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah. It was. It was funny. It made me laugh.
1: Some of them are really funny. I mean, there's overly done. You know? <laughs> yeah. Or they or they throw on. I love the Texas accents. They always throw on the southern or Texas accents oh, as the American accent. You know.
0: After they're like, darn, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't correct. And they go back to their flat and Sherlock mentions a little something that's foreshadowing because he knows that Watson doesn't have his cane. And he says something about, oh, you know, go check at the door, see, see who's there. And it's the restaurant owner with Watson's cane. Yeah. So they go up to their actual room and. And Miss Hudson is there saying, you know, what have you done, Sherlock? And they go up and it's a drug bust because the police yeah. are pissed that Sherlock has taken this case into his own hands.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they're really ransacking the place. Anderson is there uh looking for drugs. And, you know, as John is basically saying, there's no way there's any drugs anywhere in here. And Sherlock is kind of, you know, giving the eye, which is a. Uh, again, an homage to the character of of Sherlock Holmes, because in the novels, the 19th century Sherlock Holmes did use cocaine. And it is very much mentioned in the books that he was a cocaine user. Because in 19th century London, this was not as uncommon as a, a thing as it is now. Um, you know, cocaine use was basically something that was more commonly done, and it was I guess sound was frowned upon, but it was legal. Huh. So, basically, saying that this Sherlock is also a recreational drug user, probably for the um, just to
0: get his mind to slow down, his I'm mind, sure.
1: yeah, or straight, you know, so he could think. Um, there's also a nice little mention that Miss Hudson might also have some herbs, rec- <laughs> herbs that she she uh, indulges into. Yeah,
0: apparently, there's no vapes in this episode no no vape pens no e-juices sorry
1: yeah yeah
0: (laughs) was it uh anderson that calls him a psychopath yet again and he says i'm not a psychopath i'm a high-functioning sociopath get it right you know (laughs) do your research (laughs) well
1: they're also talking now about they discovered the police have discovered who rachel is yes the scratched in, what she was saying was scratching in Rachel, but didn't, was able to finish before she passed away. And Lestrade basically says that Rachel is the daughter of, um, this, this woman who was killed. And, you know, Sherlock is basically saying we need to talk to her right away. We need to get in touch with her. And Lestrade says that Rachel was Jennifer Wilson's stillborn daughter, um, 14 years prior to this. And they're trying to figure out how, you know why would she be writing this in her last moments? You know, but Sherlock's not
0: seeing it the same way they are. No, of course not. He's he's got his you know ob- omnipotent view of the whole situation. But let's take a break right here—a little cliffhangery, suspenseful moment in our podcast—and uh, take a break and pay some bills. I believe as Scott would have put it, and uh, we'll. Talk to you guys again as soon as we come back. Do you ever wish you could tell people how you feel without actually using your words? Well, you've come to the right place. You should invest your money in a me shirt. That stands for mood t shirt. Feeling tired at work? Invest in the I'm not feeling very professional today, so I wore sweatpants t shirt. Wish a loved one would notice how you're feeling? Invest in the, if you don't talk to me, I'm going to steal all your credit cards and go on an Amazon shopping spree. Don't want anyone to acknowledge you in public? Wear the, it's my day off t-shirt, please don't start a conversation with me. Remember, you can express you with a me. Shirt, that is. Call 1-800-ME-SHIRT today! And we're back. Um, shed some light on the Rachel situation for us, Sean.
1: Yeah, so basically, you know, it's a kind of show, Sherlock in general, where you have to watch it a couple of times to get all the intricate details of, you know, what Sherlock has found. And sometimes things, I know I've watched these episodes probably three, four times a piece, and there's still stuff I miss. Um, but with Rachel, again, the police were saying that it wasn't unusual for a dying woman to want to remember her stillborn child, and that's why she was writing this name as she was dying. It would be something that a normal person would possibly do. Sherlock didn't agree, and he came to this conclusion, you know, as in our scene here, Miss Hudson keeps on asking about this taxi that he, you know, (laughs) must have ordered. Um, And he basically tells her to keep shut up and to go away, and she keeps on bringing it up as he's thinking. But anyway, Shaw comes to the conclusion that this dead woman, Jennifer uh, Wilson, was very clever. And he planted... She didn't lose her cell phone. She planted it with the cab driver so they could track and find out what happened to her. She knew she was going to die. And that she, she did this on purpose. And basically he asks... To look at her luggage tags and her email address is on it and they basically jump to um, you know a fake looking Apple <laughs> screen to track her cell phone again showing the technology of the 21st century where they go to like a find my iPhone sort of page where you can locate your mm-hmm. lost cell phone put in her email address off the luggage tag and the password was Rachel to get into the system to track where her cell phone was to therefore track where her killer was, unbeknownst to the killer. So that's what the whole meaning of that was, and, and Sherlock came to that conclusion. And sure enough, at that point, they, as again, Miss Hudson is going on about this taxi driver being waiting for him, they type in the email address into this logon, they, they log into her account, the password Rachel worked, and they're able to track the cell phone right to 221B Baker Street, where they are Right there and then.
0: Then I'm sure the police are like, oh, maybe Sherlock did kill this woman because he's psychopathic. Yeah,
1: somewhere else yeah. around here.
0: So immediately Sherlock knows what happens and Watson's like, Sherlock, are you all right? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. And then goes outside to meet the cabbie driver after he texts Sherlock, you know, come with me.
1: Yeah. You know, he's, he's having this... There's this voiceover at this point, too, where it talks about he's figuring out that the one thing all these suicides had in common was uh, transportation, this taxi driver.
0: And so now there's an interesting scene where the cab driver confesses to exactly what he's doing. And he says, I know you're not going to call the police because then I won't tell you how it happened.
1: He says, basically, "I'll, I'll give myself up right here. Feel free to call him. I'm. I'll be done. I know I'm caught. There's nothing I can do to avoid this now. You got me. But like you said, he doesn't. He knows that Sherlock is going to be enticed by the mystery and want it to be solved. Exactly. Not just not just caught, but figured out. So
0: he gets back in the cab and says, "You know, get in."
1: Um. Very interesting Cockney accent this guy has. Too. Yeah. I love that. Get in, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Holmes. <Yeah. laughs>
0: <laughs> and um, he says, "What are you going to kill me now?" Um, or something to that effect, and then the cab driver says, "No, I'm gonna talk to you, and then you're gonna kill yourself."
1: In the meantime, uh, the police and John are trying to figure out what happened to to Sherlock. Basically, you know, just calling the phone, um, it wasn't there at the at the flat. They realized that's not where the phone was, mm-hmm. and just trying to figure out where he is at this point.
0: Yes. Yeah, so Watson says, "Oh, I'll you know I'll try to GPS the phone one more time." Mm-hmm. And then it cuts back to the cab where... The cabbie pulls up to a secluded location. I believe it was some sort of college.
1: Roland Carr-Kerr Further Education College. And Sherlock knows exactly where they are.
0: Yes, of course. Um, And then he is forced out of the car at gunpoint.
1: How he walked his victims out. That's how they figured out that. That's how yes. he got them out.
0: And so they go into this strange strangely lit classroom and sit across from each other at a table where the murderer pulls out two identical bottles with two pills in them and so it's like some sort of odd russian roulette chess game where the murderer says that you know one of these pills is a good pill one of these pills is a bad pill you pick which one it's all it's a it's a mind game you know, I know which one is poison, but you don't. I know how you think I think.
1: You think I think, yeah.
0: And Sherlock's like, no, it's entirely chance. It's chance for me. There's no point in, in playing.
1: Why would he ever do this if he's going to, you know? And then, the, yeah, the cat becomes, says at this point, whose name is Jeff, <laughs> um, that. The the good caveat about this game is that whatever pill that Sherlock does not take, he will take, and, and, you know, so he could be possibly be killed also.
0: Right. So, he says that he has consequentially outlived four other people, and so Sherlock tries to figure out why he would do this kind of thing, and deduces that he had a wife where they divorced and he can't see his children, but also that he has a terminal illness. Mm -hmm. And he also learns, I believe the cabbie says to him that he has a sponsor for doing this and money goes to his children for every life that he takes.
1: Yeah. And Sherlock is able to do these things by just seeing a picture in the uh, cab. Right. On his, on his way here of, of basically, Jeff's children, you know, basically saying that the mother has been cut out of the picture, so if she had died, she'd still be there. So obviously it was a divorce. He doesn't want to see her any longer. And, you know, this is the motivation behind his actions. And we should also note, too, that right before this scene, I think we might have touched on it, but John was about to leave, and the computer was able to locate the phone again and ping the location. So that's how John knows where to go at this point. 'Cause he saw that the phone had pinged where they were at this college.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So he is getting there as fast as he possibly can. But there are two identical buildings. Mm-hmm. So he goes into the building that's on the left rather than the building that's on the right. And I believe it's it's around this this time where we see Watson go inside the, the school and he's like, Sherlock, Sherlock, where are you? Running through the corridors up through the classrooms. And Sherlock is talking to this cab driver, and the cab driver's enticing him. You know, come on, pick one, or I can shoot you. So he picks the gun, because immediately he knows that it's not a real gun. It turns out to be a lighter. And he's like, I know a real gun when I see one. And Sherlock goes to get up and leave, and he said, come on, which one would you have picked? Just so I know if I could have beaten you and Sherlock doesn't answer him because he wants to be like, Oh, of course I knew which one it was, you know, but he didn't. And so he takes a bottle and he goes to take the pill. When all of a sudden the cabbie is shot in the chest, right. As Sherlock is about to ingest this pill.
1: Cause Sherlock was going to go to that. He had to see it through. He had to see if he was right. And you know, it, he had to see this this finished oh yeah and that that's how the guy the guy knew who he was playing with and he was able to to push his buttons basically
0: uh-huh it it was crazy that he would he could have gone called the police but instead he's going to risk his life just to assert his cleverness you know
1: to make sure to to get the problem this is one downside where he has to see it solved and at this point we really see sherlock's Again, his obsession with this—he, he, the guy's dying, you know, from this this gunshot wound, um, and he's still asking him, "Which one was it? Which one was it?" And he won't. Was I right? Was I right? But I have lived, and he just gets. When the guy doesn't say anything, because he's dying. Sherlock, you know, he he throws it down in, in disgust and anger
0: belts the guy with it, like, in the face. (laughs) And then he steps on the bullet wound and proceeds to ask, you know, who is it? Who, give me the name, who was this fan of his? And he says, Moriarty, as he dies right afterwards.
1: Really showing a very dark side of Sherlock that he is, you know, he wants to know, he wants to know who could possibly best him and who, because he knows at this point, this person is dangerous, this, you know, this sponsor is a mastermind, and he has to know who he is. And he gets a name, which is a very good way to start the series, with Moriarty right in the forefront.
0: Oh, yeah. Perfect setup. So then we jump to a scene where it's like a Law & Order episode, where it's outside, and Sherlock is a trauma victim, so he has a shock blanket, and he's like, why do I have this blanket? I'm not in shock. Yeah, yeah. And they're trying to figure out who the shooter of the cabbie was, and... As Sherlock is giving these facts, um, he automatically stops realizing that it was Watson who saved his life, and he goes over and, you know, thanks Watson, and they have a little bonding moment, and then they immediately bump into Sherlock's supposed arch enemy, where Watson goes, oh, that's the guy, that's the guy, you know, and Sherlock goes, oh, I know exactly who that is.
1: And you think, oh here's here's the reveal of morality,
0: But nope, it's his brother Mycroft, which is
1: yep, Mycroft. another
0: odd name. Yeah. Where did where did the Holmes family get these child names?
1: Well, I think it was more that was more common name in the nineteenth century. I, again I mean you can't really change it.
0: That's true. So
1: again it doesn't really carry over too well to the twenty first century, but
0: Sherlock and Mycroft. That's yeah. You know, maybe they'll make a resurgence. You never know.
1: <laughs> yeah, Mycroft was actually, he's been mentioned in a lot of uh, different mediums, I guess you can say, in other movies and TV shows and even comics. Really? To be on- Yeah, to be honest with you. Uh, I believe he is actually in a, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And they—they they, basically they play on the whole fact that in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is a comic... You know, movie based on the comic, basically. That Mycroft Holmes was the first head of British intelligence. Which is basically MI6, where James Bond came from. And that's where the codename M came into place. If you're, you know, if you're a fan of James Bond movies, or the James Bond series. So that, he was the first head, so Mycroft M.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So, and you can see that he is, his character here is a, um, has some influence and power in the British government, possibly MI6, mm-hmm. and it, it basically uh Sherlock gives reference to that also.
0: And uh Watson says, "Oh, so when you said you wanted information on him because you're worried, you actually are concerned for him." You know, I thought that was hilarious.
1: Yeah, they talk about their mother, and it's really funny. Mycroft appears a lot in the series too, as we go on. Oh
0: yeah. So our episode here ends with Watson and Sherlock walking off into the distance to go and get Chinese food together, which is how any good TV show should end with Chinese food. So what were your opinions on this episode? I
1: thought it was fantastic. Really well done. A good start to the series. Good introduction of characters, I would say. And gave you just enough where you want to watch more. Again, I love this whole series, so I I can't say anything bad about it, honestly. And you just want to watch... The only thing I have a tough time with is watching it, because I always fall asleep during the episodes, because they're so stinking long. (laughs) I watched this one in two parts, actually, because I, I fell asleep during the middle of it. I watched the rest of it today. But yeah, fantastic. Fantastic series. Very well done, and has a huge fan base. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I love it. I would recommend it to anyone. It's All the s- current episodes are on Netflix now. Type in Sherlock. There's also a few episodes, like the making of sort of things I haven't watched. Um, my wife has watched them, and she says they're, they're really good. Um, and, again, it really kicked off Benedict Cumberbatch's career quite a bit. hmm He's been in a number of movies now. I, you know, he's, Like we mentioned, uh, Star Trek in the Darkness he's in. Mm-hmm. Where he plays Khan, which is amazing. Whoop. Oh, it's not a spoiler for anybody if you haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> but he is played Khan in that, in that show. There's actually a funny episode. I forget which episode it is of Sherlock where like two worlds converge. I might have mentioned this on the, uh, IT crowd episode we did. But as we mentioned, I am really a fan of, uh, Catherine Parkinson who plays <laughs> yeah. Jen in that show. <laughs> and my wife is a fan of, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and so we, we kind of joke about it once in a while, you know, I, it's her boyfriend that sort of thing, because she likes him so much as an actor, and there is a convergence of universes because there is an episode of Sherlock, um, it's actually a really good episode with uh, Moriarty in it, where they are in the same they're in the scene together, Catherine Parkinson plays a reporter, and you know, of course Sherlock is there, so very funny scene and it's funny to see her in that in that role too so what did you think
0: i love this series much to my own amazement because i'm not a fan of detective shows or sherlock holmes in general i thought it was a wonderful modern adaptation i have seen some of the other episodes in the past but not in chronological order and not completely so i'm definitely gonna go back and do that
1: yeah Put aside a few days to watch them all. Oh, yeah. This is the kind of series where it's good to watch them in order if you can, but it's not really necessary. You can kind of jump around if you don't you know, feel like watching a certain episode for some reason. Because most of them, again, are based on, or maybe all of them, are based on Sherlock Holmes novels and stories. So they all have this kind of similar theme, and those weren't really in chronological order when they were written. I mean, I don't think that lot of stuff carried on. You didn't have to know one book from another book or one story from another story in, in order to get the whole picture, you know. I would recommend watching, reading notice too, if you ever get a chance. I mean, they're pretty easy to read for 19th century literature.
0: Well, that's awesome.
1: I have one other little thing, too. I think, well, a couple of things, actually. Just to go about the novels for one more second. I, I th- I'm not positive. I think they might be in the public domain. So, I think you can get most of them for free. Let me look that up real quick. Um, and the other thing while I'm looking that up is that I have a connection with Sherlock Holmes. In Connecticut, where I grew up, there is a great park. Uh, it's actually a, was someone, pri- someone's private property for a long time that was turned into a state park. It donated the lands. And the name of the park in Connecticut it's called Gillette Castle State Park, and the person who owned it was named um, Mr. Gillette, William Gillette, and this house he built on this property it looks like a castle. I mean, it's a pretty cool-looking place, and now it's a state park you can go to, tour the house that he had, and he has this beautiful property on the Connecticut River. But the reason I mentioned this about Sherlock Holmes is that uh, William Gillette, he was actually he played Sherlock Holmes in the um on the stage. I always thought that was interesting. Um And basically, there's a lot of Sherlock Holmes related stuff on the property from his acting days, so it's kind of cool. Any
0: connection to Gillette Stadium?
1: I I don't believe so. Another nice point about Sherlock Holmes is that the stories are still, as far as looking at this article in the public domain, you could probably find them on. Project Gutenberg to download and read at your leisure. Uh, so that's just an interesting thing to keep in mind.
0: Well, that's awesome. So I think that just about does it for us. Is there anything you'd like to plug before we sign off?
1: Uh, I guess I'll just plug one more time the Maker Fair, Cape Cod Maker Fair. I plugged it last week, and I'll plug it again. If you're in the general Massachusetts area, Eastern New Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, and you want to take a little trip up to uh, Cape Cod, or you're planning a trip to Cape Cod next weekend, which would be the weekend of May 30th, there is a Cape Cod Maker Fair that will be at Cape Cod Community College from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. for the address, which I don't have on the website. But if you put in your GPS, Cape Cod Community College, I'm sure it will come up. Very cool thing. If you don't know what Maker Fair is, or Maker organization is just do a google search it's a lot of do-it-yourself type projects with different electronics and uh rd type stuff from all spectrums we're going to be there i will be doing some ras well we'll both be doing some raspberry pi product projects Mm -hmm. and we'll be playing hitting play the podcast throughout the entire day on my raspberry pi radio so it's going to be very interesting so we'll be there for (laughs) autographs or uh photo opportunities if you're a fan.
0: Absolutely. Uh, ne-
1: next Saturday, May thirtieth, Cape Cod Mini Maker Fair.
0: Yes, I all three of us will be attending. So.
1: Yes, we will be there, and we'll will, we'll will definitely sign anything you want us to sign within reason. <laughs> and I guess I'll plug Scott's uh, Vine. Oh yeah. Which is MC and friends on Vine. He does some really creative things on there. Uh, I really love it. Um, he's very very talented. And his Twitter, I think it's the same thing. MC and friends.
0: For this week, I'll plug my YouTube channel. If you enjoy video games or anything of the sort that's related, um, go onto YouTube, do a little search for Lilliputian22. Uh, I make some awkward jokes. We play some games. It's a good time. And I'm th- under the same handle on Twitter. So Lilliputian22 on Twitter as well.
1: And if you want to contact the Hitting Play Show, our podcast, you can do that by uh, emailing us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com. That's our email address. Feel free to send any comments or complaints or threats or whatever you want to send there. (laughs) We are also on Twitter under Hitting Play or at Hitting Play. Yep. So feel free to subscribe to us there. If you leave a favorable review on iTunes we will mention you in a upcoming podcast.
0: We really do try to get creative with those and you don't even have to leave any sort of text review. You can just tap to rate us right within the podcast app. So um thank you so much. We really do appreciate your feedback.
1: Yes, anything we could have is is appreciated.
0: So uh with that, we've been Lily and Sean and unfortunately not Scott. Um, thanks next week. Next, next week, week. thanks for hanging in there with us. This has been a hitting play. Good night.
1: Good night.